0: Dr R J Rushduni RR161 CC147 The economic scene in the nineteen T S from the easy chair excellent colloquies on various subjects
1: This is R J Rushduni easy chair number 257 January the 8th 1992
2: This evening,
1: Otto Scott, Douglas Murray, and I are going to discuss, first of all, the economic scene in the 1990s. I'm going to ask Douglas to uh, introduce the whole subject because he shared with us A book by Larry Burkett, The Coming Economic Earthquake, and also uh, the videos of Ankenberg and Burkett. I shared a platform in 1980 with Larry Burkett in Southern California. He's a Christian financial consultant and a very down-to-earth and uh, realistic person. Douglas, do you want to introduce the general subject as Burkett has uh, stated it?
2: Surely. Uh, Larry Burkett, uh, essentially, his book is uh, wrapped around government figures. Uh, He hasn't invented anything here. He's simply taken statistics and uh, projections that are generated by the uh, U.S. Commerce Department and other agencies, and they paint a rather startling picture of where we are. And uh, the recent uh, changes or history of those statistics uh, uh, paints a rather grim picture of where we're headed. And uh, essentially his uh, allusion to an earthquake is drawn from the fact that we've had several tremors in our economy and that we should heed them. Uh, for instance, the, uh, failure of the savings and loan industry and the fact that the taxpayers will have to pay a $700 billion bailout, bailout, uh, fee and, uh, that, uh, uh many banks, including the 20 largest banks in the world are essentially insolvent because if you liquidated all of their assets uh, they could not uh, return the funds to the depositors and uh, insurance companies that invested in uh, uh, leverage buyout securities uh, known as junk bonds and are heavily invested in non-performing uh, real estate are on the verge of being in trouble. And his warning is is that if the government spending continues at the current rate, uh, that it will wipe out personal bank accounts, insurance policies, retirement programs, Social Security, and uh, jobs of a large segment of our population. Uh, he goes on from there... To uh, detail how we, the history, how we got there, and then at the uh, end of the book, he has some suggestions uh, which we can get into uh, a little further along about what uh, people should be doing to uh, try to uh, avoid the brunt of this because uh, many people are going to, particularly the middle class uh, people, are going to be totally wiped out financially.
1: Burkett called attention to the huge national debt. What percentage of the annual receipts of the United States go merely to pay the interest on the national debt?
2: Well, he cited that right now the national debt is $3.8 trillion, and that's just on the debts that the government uh, calls on the books. Mm -hmm. They have unfunded liabilities which go beyond that. Uh, but right now, $240 billion uh, this year will be paid in interest alone, and that's 40% of all the taxes collected in this country. And that, uh, a little clearer picture of that is all taxpayers west of the Mississippi, 100% of everything that everybody pays in taxes, of all taxpayers west of the Mississippi goes currently to pay the interest on the national debt and at the current rate of increase in government spending by the year 2000 the national debt will be 13.5 trillion and in order to service the debt it would take 100 uh, percent of all the taxes to service the debt and uh, That means that they will have to, uh, in order to handle that, they would have to cut government spending by 40%, and they would have to increase the current tax rate, which is around 22%, to a rate of 50%.
1: That's the federal tax
2: rate. Federal tax
1: rate, right. He also feels, does he not, that this uh, point of no return when... uh, 100% of all the tax receipts will go simply to pay the interest on the national debt, meaning nothing left over for any program or the operation of the federal government. That's correct. Could be reached as early as 1996. That's correct. Four years away. The
2: the most pessimistic estimate is uh, somewhere around five years, which at the time the book was written would place it in about uh, 95 or late 95, and the most optimistic estimate is the year 2000.
1: That's uh, a grim outlook, and I'm afraid, having read his book, he is assuming that... We're not going to add new entitlements to the national budget or the national health program that they're talking about, all of which would hasten the day.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be so sure about that. <clears throat>
1: the Democrats are going to run on a national
0: health program.
1: Well, I agree with you, and uh, I think they have so... Little common sense that both parties will go along with it with no awareness of what they are doing. I was interested, one of our staff members, I won't mention names of anyone involved, was talking not too long ago with a member of a family one of the most important in the country. And at this meeting with one of the high financial figures of the administration present, there was no awareness of the coming disaster. And the feeling apparently is that they're going to come up with some answer. Neither party is concerned with the problem you're talking about. There are blind men walking towards the edge of a cliff.
2: Well, uh, this seems to be the case. Uh, Burkett says that uh, now, as in the past, historically, there have have only been three options for government. They can either default on the debt, which means that everybody that's got a T-bill uh, or a government bond of any kind will simply be wiped out. Not only will they lose the interest income, they will lose the money that they have saved to buy the instrument in the first place. The second thing is they would have to cut spending 40% and they would have to raise taxes uh, in order to... Uh, to handle that kind of debt level or the third one which historically from the beginning of time which governments have always resorted to is to print money. And which essentially makes everybody's savings uh, worthless uh, anyway. Well, I
0: understand that M1 which is money is up 13 Mm percent,
1: so they've already started on that. Yes, 13 percent inflation. Now, at this point, I think there's a very serious mistake that most people make, and uh, it's a very distressing one. I wrote a book some years ago on the roots of inflation, uh, paperback, which is still available for only $5. We could not make it available for that now. This was uh, published in 1982, Inflation has made it worth $10 now. Easily, easily. And in it I discuss the theology of uh, an inflationary world and the evils of it. But everyone tells me, but the book is irrelevant now. We're seeing deflation all around us. (laughs) And uh, the answer to that, of course, you're seeing the economy deflate but you're going to see paper money inflate. Well, one of the things that he pointed out, which
2: is very true, and people have to realize it, is that uh, in the Depression, everybody, or after the Depression of the 30s, when the government, the New Deal, put on all of these controls uh, with Federal Reserve banking and so forth, everybody thought, we've turned the problem over to the federal government uh, this can never happen again. And I can remember people saying, making this statement when I was a kid, because I was born in the middle of the Depression, that uh, when I'd say, well, gee, if it happened once, couldn't it happen again? And everybody would assure me, no, no, it can never happen again. Yeah. And uh, people have just got to realize that it can and will happen.
1: Otto?
0: Well, we are seeing a deflation in terms of prices and commodities, which has given the press, which is economically staffed, uh, staffed by economic illiterates, it's given the press the idea that uh, inflation has been conquered. But it hasn't, of course. But M1 up 13%. That's a big shot in the arm in an election year. What we are also seeing is a contraction of our productivity. Uh, Not simply stores, but factories, mines, mills, all our productive apparatus is beginning to close down. Now, at the same time the government is going to release hundreds of thousands of people from the military and it's also cutting back on military programs, the construction of submarines, the construction of airplanes, and so forth. Now, what I think Congress does not quite understand is that a manufacturing or a technological enterprise is like a baseball team. Once you shut it down and disperse the players, You have dispersed a talent pool which took years of experience to put together. And once you wipe it out, you cannot put it back together in a hurry. It takes more years to build new teams. You can't call back the old teams. You can't call back a closed factory. You close down a refinery, it turns into rust. You close down a mine and everything gets obsolete. We're watching the closing down of the United States in terms of productivity. That just doesn't mean unemployment. It means a shortage of goods. It means that certain things, certain commodities leave the marketplace for an indefinite period of time. One of the great calamity, one of the great tragedies, I think, of the 30s was all the broken dreams. Mm-hmm all the plans and hopes and careers that had to be canceled. Men who were in their 40s were practically wiped out by the depression of the 30s because by the time they got through with the depression and the war, they were in their 60s. And we're watching here a great many people in their prime don't realize that the end of the tunnel here may be quite a way off. Now, the... Figgy International sent a team of men down to South America to find out how they survived hyperinflation. And all the South Americans that were interviewed in Argentina, Bolivia, Peru, and Brazil were uh, astonished that the Americans came down to ask these questions because they said, the United States is doing exactly what we did. You're following our path precisely. And what it meant, what it means for the people down there is that they go into what amounts to a cash economy and a barter economy. The credit cards are wiped out because a credit card is based on the idea of a price that is fixed for at least a month. Mm-hmm. In fact, the South Americans were astonished that American bankers were still putting out 30-year mortgages. They said, how can they in the face of this inflationary uh, rise? How can they even dream of putting out a 30-year mortgage?
2: Because they're on FHA loans, which are guaranteed by the taxpayer through the federal government. That's why. On on non-FHA loans, you have to take a variable rate, which means that the the, uh, uh, percentage of interest that you pay rises and falls with the uh, market.
1: You mentioned something very important, namely the teams that are built up in a manufacturing enterprise. This past weekend, Dick Nichols was telling me of one major corporation which as it grew over the years would take an outstanding man skilled in a particular area and help him set up a separate shop manufacturing a particular part or a particular product so that they ended with a vast Network of subsidiaries really uh, more or less independent under these expert men. Now all of that is collapsing so that they're losing a vast number of highly specialized skill workers who are being scattered all over the landscape as they're going hither and yon looking for any kind of work To put bread on the table?
0: Well, we got into this in the first place, technologically speaking, by falling in for giantism. Detroit built larger and larger factories, employing tens of thousands of people. And so did uh, practically every other industry. The tire industry, great big factories with thousands and thousands of people. When the Japanese competition began, Detroit was caught, and it was a dinosaur of its own making. It couldn't retool and refashion and turn around in less than a decade, whereas the Japanese, with small plants and a small island, were able to move quickly. Mm -hmm. They could move in a decade, change after change after change.
2: Plus, they lead the world in robotic technology, which assembles their automobiles. So we had,
0: first of all, we were hooked with all these giant, uh, vertical uh, organizations. Entrepreneurship also had begun to decline in this country after World War II. Instead of, uh, I don't know how many men I talked to who told me that their sons didn't want to go into business. They didn't want to inherit, didn't want to run the family business. They wanted to go to school. They wanted to go to college. They wanted to be professors. They wanted to be physicians or lawyers or whatever. Well, of course, every country needs professionals. But professionals maintain the country. They do not build the country.
2: Important point.
0: The entrepreneurial type build the country. And the United States stopped being an entrepreneurial country and became a professional country. It even talks in terms of its language. After World War II, instead of leadership, they talked about managing, and they talked about systems. They didn't talk about people. The business heroes vanished. And this is all part... In the meantime, the world around us has changed. We've got an industrialized world growing up all around us, not simply in the, in the Asia, but in Latin America as well. There's a better steel
2: industry functioning in Brazil, believe it or not, than we have, and a
0: bigger one.
2: Well, the media did their part in convincing a generation that business was inherently evil, even though it feeds us. Well, well I think managers always felt that
0: entrepreneurs were evil because entrepreneurs shake things up. But one of the things that's happened to us in the last few years, in particular in the 80s, the merger and takeover mania of the uh, 80s, is that roughly $800 billion worth of corporations that were once on the New York Stock Exchange have vanished. Mm -hmm. They've been eaten and digested and broken up into parts and their assets sold, their teams broken up which is one of the reasons for the increase in the stock exchange. I mean, when when the government moves in and unilaterally changes the interest rates, which really belong to the market to set, it means that everyone who had any other kind of interest commitment has been cheated the government has suddenly lowered the interest rates so that the CDs and all the rest of these uh, investments become worth much less than they did before they've gone into the stock exchange and the stock exchange having less people in it than it had before has reaped the benefit of higher prices higher in my opinion than they deserve at this point mm-hmm. So what what we have done is that we have moved from a productive economy to a speculative economy. Mm -hmm. You can make more money with money than you can building things or selling things or making things. In other words, it's all paper.
1: Yes, and we have been in an inflationary economy which will be worse before the end of the decade. And this in itself is very deadly. For example, a great deal has been said in recent years about the competition of Japanese automakers. But what has happened since 1970 is that the total number of automobile sales each year is dramatically lower dramatically lower and uh, if you take the combined japanese american german swedish all italian and other uh, automobile sales in the united states the total number is way below the total number of 1970 dramatically lower and it's because inflation has priced the automobile out of the reach of more and more Americans, just as housing also has been priced out of the reach of most people. That's a very good
0: point. In order to buy a car now, they they uh, have payments that run for five years. mm hmm. So that means that everybody keeps their car longer than before. Yes. So there's less of a turnover. Now, a car was what seven hundred dollars in nineteen thirty nine, and now uh, it's fifteen to twenty thousand. Yes. They're making as much money on the interest as they are profit on the car. So this again, it's a speculative economy.
1: Yes,
0: it's a money economy, but it's it's not a goods economy, yes. and this overlooks this. This is a a period of decline, which is masqueraded through the 60s and 70s as a period of boom. It's been a rather steady decline.
1: Yes.
0: It's all been done with debt, though. Yes, it's been done with debt. It's been done with credit.
1: Well, Burkett says that from 95 to the end of the decade we are going to see the interest on the federal debt equal the annual income of the federal government. At that point, Washington will be bankrupt. It will not be able to maintain a single program, and it will no doubt enter into a period of confiscating just about every asset in the banks and insurance companies, uh, pension funds, you name it.
2: Well, one of those more chilling predictions, which I arrived at six months ago, is that the uh, tax-deferred IRA retirement programs that people have where the government passed this law, which is almost like a free lunch where you get to defer taxes on both the money that you invest as well as the interest until uh, you retire now constitutes a pool of money that's $650 billion. And that's going to be terribly tempting when the federal government gets their back to the wall. And he predicts that they will sweep all that money into the Social Security Fund, which will then sweep it into the General Fund. Because there is no money in the Social Security Fund. There's nothing there but IOUs. There is no pool of money there.
1: I think the... IRAs are a fraud because it is just the accumulation of funds for the federal government to expropriate. When they set up the IRA, I warned everyone to steer clear of them. Washington never gives anybody a break. No free lunch. No free lunch.
0: Well, it's interesting that Figgy, whose figures Burkett cites Mm -hmm. He's got some of uh, Figgy's charts in there. Uh, Does not really think that we're going to go into the hyperinflation. He thinks that the government will take uh, apparently autocratic moves before that. But the problem here is that hyperinflation can occur within a week. It doesn't come it, it, we have already gone through the usual historic three generations of build-up toward such a collapse. Historically when the Byzant was uh, adulterated for instance on other occasions it's taken almost 90 years for a large civilization to destroy its own economy. Now, we started this when we went off the gold standard. domestically and internationally. So we have an economy in which the basic unit Mm -hmm. of measurement is so elastic that you have to look in the newspaper every day to see what the dollar is worth. Mm -hmm. This is like having uh, architecture uh, in which the inch or the yard changes its dimensions Mm -hmm. every 24 hours. Obviously, it, it makes for instability. There's no way of having stability if you have... a a fluctuating currency. And the thing that neither Figgy nor Burkett talk about, which intrigues me, is the fact that this is a world economy. In Brazil and Argentina and Peru and former Soviet Union, these people have retreated to dollars in order to have some kind of currency to deal with. But if the dollar falls, All the currencies fall.
1: Well, today, people who are in international trade, that is, they are buying things from abroad to sell here, are in deep trouble or are going out of business. Because with the variable rate, let us say of the franc or the mark or the pound and the dollar and the lira, you buy something, and the value of the dollar and the currency in which you bought it varies, and your margin of profit right. is wiped
0: out. Well, you can't tell. You no, may, you may make a profit, more profit, or you may
1: lose more. And Calcedon receives checks from a, a number of foreign countries, and uh, the interesting thing is that. Sometimes we have to wait before a check is put through because that particular currency is uh, jumping around at such an alarming rate. And there are some countries that uh, money from there is no good unless it is in dollars. They simply won't put it through. I tried taking things on the trip to Britain to Deeks, and uh, not every currency was uh, accepted.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think you can you can label that as another tremor of this coming earthquake when
1: you have unstable exchange rates. Yes. In one instance, it took me two weeks to have a check put through because that particular. Uh, country, one of the more stable ones was having some internal problems and its currency was bouncing so much that they did not want to put it through until it settled a bit.
0: Well, the economy and politics are two sides of a single coin. The government and the economy always move together I got a call from a fellow in Michigan today who was invited to head up the Buchanan for President effort in the state of Michigan, and he wanted to know what I thought about it. He was calling a number of others. And we he took the occasion, we both did, to discuss the overall political outlook. And I gave the opinion, which I've just recently come to, that... The Democrats will draft Cuomo, and that saves him the trouble of going through the primaries and spending all that time and money and wearing himself out, and he'll be be nominated by acclamation because he's their best speaker. He's a demagogic spellbinder, as a matter of fact, and he's also a rather ruthless man who I'm told will call up reporters when he doesn't like something they've written and threaten them in a very chilling way. When you put together these qualities of being a demagogue and being eloquent and being ruthless and the fact that we are coming into a crisis, it adds up to the profile of an autocrat. Mm -hmm. And an autocrat is what a crisis generally evokes. Yes. Well, if that scenario uh, sounds plausible, only if Mr. Bush continues to render himself ridiculous, as he's doing, and loses the election. I think there have been too many photographs of him in short pants myself. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's front, stage, and center on every occasion. He's his own press man. He's his own commerce secretary. He's his own secretary of state. Uh, He seems to be afraid that anyone else will ever say or do anything during his regime at the top. So I would say that he would have difficulty winning an election, and the Republicans will certainly nominate him because they always, as Howie Phillips says, they're royalists and they only go for the king. They even re-nominated Herbert Hoover in 1932. It didn't even occur to them to run a different man. So they're not going to change this time. So therefore, Cuomo will have, I think, uh, a good party. But the Democrats are also running on a platform of national health care at a time when Medicaid is beginning to take over Medicare. If they can't even... uh, take care of the health of the elderly how are they going to take care of the health of everybody
1: I was interviewed today by telephone and uh, in the light of what you said about the presidential campaign I was asked what the uh, big event of 1992 would be and I said uh the election uh, of a sacrificial lamb for the presidency. (laughs) And I'm afraid that's what it's going to amount to.
0: Well, not if Cuomo got it, because Cuomo is a tough individual. He's an autocrat. He's threatening. And every time that every government has gotten into this particular position, it's put down wage and price controls and total control over all industry,
2: and we've got the machinery in place. Well, Burkett brought up the fact that there was a change in the mindset of the American public in the 30s uh, to letting the federal government handle the economy. Now this is so ingrained and all these institutions are in place it becomes the automatic response. Oh yes, well right now the
0: President of the United States is being blamed for the economy. Mm-hmm. He took the credit for it so he gets the blame
1: for it. There's an excellent sentence in Burkett's book The Coming Economic Earthquake. I quote the EPA Environmental protection agency has become a paramilitary enforcement group running amok through the free enterprise system. Running Uh amok is a good term. Mm -hmm. Well if
0: if small business didn't have troubles enough, the government is trying to load all its health benefits and other benefits onto the backs of employers, as you were talking about earlier. Well it's an ingenious country. We, uh, I must say, I think, as a nation, the American people have put up with more misgovernment than any other nation I know would be able to endure. But it can't do much if it gets an autocrat in the White House who has no sense of limits when it comes to authority.
1: Well, I think... The day of the autocrats and the strong man is gone. And as far as the United States is concerned, Roosevelt was such a one. Yes, he was. But I think now the hostilities are such that when anyone gets elected, he's immediately going to be the target of such hostility that there will be a breakdown of authority instead.
0: Well, if there's a breakdown of authority, you're talking about a much worse situation because... Yes. You're really painting a darker
1: picture than I was hinting at. The... Chinese ideogram for crisis, I was told years ago, is a combination of two characters. And it means... Literally dangerous opportunity. So what we face is a dangerous opportunity. Now, I think that, uh, one of our problems today is that the common term used for economics is the dismal science used to be. And very few people are interested in economics. Larry Burkett is a Christian. His book is published by the uh, Moody Press. I received today a book by another Christian, Stephen Dallas Wilson, The Bankruptcy of America, uh, published by the Ridge Mills Press in Germantown, Tennessee. And just browsing in it, it seems to be uh, a very superior work. And yet very few Christians will read such books. And citing Burkett again, he makes this statement, most Christians in America are as much a part of the problem as anyone else. And it's because they uh, do not want to uh, come to grips with economics. Their attitude is, well, the Lord will take care of it. Just as the common attitude, if anyone tries to tell people in Washington what's coming, well, when the time comes, we'll do something about it. One uh, expects God to bail us out of everything, and the other expects Washington to bail us out of everything.
0: Well, of course, that attitude is that God is their servant. Yes. All they have to do is ask, and he will He, he, will, uh, he will. obey. And the government is a servant, and you ask the government, and it will obey. In both cases, you're dealing with your master. And the response may be not what the... Uh, individual expects. Uh, I would say this, I would say that if we are definitely going in, nobody knows the time, we're going into this crunch. Apparently uh, by the middle of the decade it'll be very critical. We have an added problem here with our racial problem. No country has talked more about racial harmony and behaved more poorly in terms of racial relations than we have, mainly because of the misdirections of our professionals. But we cannot have a real crisis in this country without it becoming a racial crisis. And the only group that I know of uh, who, outside of the Christian, and the Christians need to be organized, and they're not, that is even coming close to dealing with the basic issues is the Buchanan effort Mm -hmm. and Howie Phillips. Yes. And they're moving closer all the time to putting all these particular issues together, the social, the racial, the economic, the governmental,
2: and the religious. Well, massive layoff by our... uh, uh, job sector is going to make these problems worse yes because it'd be a much greater percentage of uh, blacks uh, who'll be out of work and uh, the ones that have jobs and that's just going to make things tougher when you have uh, people that have been told by their leadership uh, have had this politics of guilt and envy instilled into them things are going to get unpleasant especially because we will not have the funds to give them the
0: welfare, the soft landing. Mm -hmm. Now, even to discuss this, though, is difficult because we are not given all the facts. All the facts are not available to us. For instance, it was only the Wall Street Journal that pointed out that when 74,000 layoffs were announced by General Motors, that all those men or women will get 95% of their salary for the next three years because of the union contract. Now, that's a big anchor on the head of Detroit competing with the Japanese, a contract which you have to pay a man not to work for three years. Mm -hmm. And in that same way, there are many other facts in the present situation that we're not
2: told about. I think the answer lies in the other side of the statement that you cited where he said that the problem is due to uh, the American people wanting benefits from the public treasury. The answer to the problem is that uh, people's thinking is going to have to change. They're going to have to be uh, willing to change their attitude so that they take, don't take benefits from the public treasury and from government and start solving their own problems instead of demanding that government solve every problem all the way down the line.
1: Now you're pointing to what I think is the... The challenge. The challenge and the beneficial aspect of what's coming. The opportunities. The opportunities, because I believe God is getting our attention with this crisis. All right, like, hit us over head, like, like a mule. Yes, yes hit us overhead Ooh. with a fine like fight a mule, a two-by-four, rather, to get our attention, and God is definitely going to get our attention in the next few years. And I feel that by cleaning house on the old humanistic statist order, we're going to see a shift from the expectation of salvation from the state to a thoroughly godly perspective, looking to salvation from God and not from the capital
0: well one of the <clears throat> one of the great idols is crashing is the idea of perfect security inside the corporation, yes. Now, the takeovers and so forth have pretty well demolished that, plus the fact that management has been engaged for the last 20 or so years in destroying the loyalty of the workers. They've been 20, uh, 20 years in, 50 years old, you're either up or out and premature retirements at one-third your former pay, which is not enough to keep you going, and you have to find a new career, et cetera, et cetera. So the old landmarks are going. I see an expansion of contract labor where individuals will begin to contract with companies to sell their skill, without being on the payroll, pay their own taxes, take care of their own health plan, somewhat as I do, and so forth. And that alone is going to change the caliber of the country because truck drivers can do this, clerks can do this, secretaries can do it, everybody can become a temporary, everybody can become a contract worker. The whole idea of The factory, the nine-to-five and so forth, is going by the boards. They're now talking about just having people do certain work and come in at any time and leave at any time that they finish the work. Uh,
1: The IRS is very upset about that.
0: Oh, I'm so happy to hear that.
1: Yes. Uh, They take a dim view of contract labor.
2: Yes, they take a dim view of self-employment. Yes. Well, we were discussing earlier about the, uh, the demand for a national health plan. This is a perfect example of the extension of this whole epic of people demanding that the government solve a problem for them. Mm-hmm. If they force the politicians, through public outcry, to uh, invoke a national health plan on this country, uh, they're going, supposedly, to exempt employers who have less than 30 employees. However, there's thousands and thousands of, uh, tens of thousands of employers with uh, 30 employees or more who will simply either leave the country, they will go out of business, or they will go to a con- strictly a contract labor basis. So it's the government themselves that's forcing this inevitable result that the IRS doesn't like Mm -hmm. because it's more difficult to administrate
1: that way. There was a poet in the 30s whose name I now cannot recall but I knew his poem for a long time by heart because he saw the depression as the beginning of the end of the old order. And the poem began with these words, The false gods go. He was premature. The false gods got a a, a lease on life with the whole post-war inflation. Well,
0: they institutionalized all America. Yes. Period. This is what's breaking up.
1: Yes. But now the false gods are beginning to collapse. And I think it is the greatest opportunity for Christianity in several hundred years since the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation.
0: Well, this is a chance. Yes. Course, this is the beginning of the, of the Second Reformation. Yes. Because we, we've got the means now to outflank the press, to reach the people. Mm-hmm. What we need is the clergy that will tune in on what's happening around. Yes. around them.
1: I think our manifesto, as it were, that uh, the five of us wrote, The Great Christian Revolution, is uh, very important in calling attention to the basic issues that we face.
2: There are some other things that uh, Burkett points out in his book that I think are interesting. Uh, for. Over a hundred years, the U.S. Constitution made it illegal to transfer wealth until the New Deal administration came yes. in. Then people got this idea that the federal government was going to solve everything. And now the U.S. government has become the resource of last resort. If Chrysler goes, gets in trouble, if Lockheed gets in trouble, uh, if any government program gets in trouble, if uh, the uh, savings and loan industry or the banks get in trouble, it's always the taxpayer that's going to bail them out. And one other number that people, I don't think, realize because they're not told the truth about the cost of government programs that they <coughs> demand that their leaders uh, invoke upon them uh, they have these unfunded liabilities, which are the off-budget items, yes. and people don't realize how much it would cost in taxes to fully fund those programs. So it's sort of uh, some, they they see it as a something for nothing type of thing because they don't see the bill as coming due anytime soon. But they're stealing from their from their uh, children and their grandchildren.
1: The off-budget uh, <laughs> deficit. Is five times greater, some estimate, than the on-budget deficit.
2: We well, just just one number, for instance, the welfare program in the 60s, when the Great Society came along, uh, it cost uh, 60 billion dollars. In 1990, welfare programs uh, total about 260 billion dollars, and you know what have they purchased with it?
1: Well, well the,
0: they purchased
2: the collapse of the physical
0: structure known as the country—the bridges, the infrastructure, the docks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the sewers, the water treatment facilities, transportation—everything. Transportation, everything is everything. while they have and this misplaced benevolence. However, the benevolence is now coming to a close in Detroit, for instance, or rather in Michigan. They've knocked all the able-bodied single people off the welfare rolls, 90,000 of them, mm-hmm. 90,000. But it turns out that they didn't really knock them off entirely because they still get free medical attention mm-hmm. and they get various and sundry other things. On the other hand, Pat Cannon has pointed out the paradox of sending relief money and goods overseas when we have people sleeping in the streets in this country.
2: Well, the, the, the Democrats seem to feel that all you have to do is raise taxes to solve this problem. Well, they always call it soak the rich. Yeah, but for every dollar in taxes that, uh, that the government collects, it is currently spending a dollar and 82 cents. And you just can't keep doing that forever. Say that again. For every dollar in taxes that the federal government currently collects, it spends a dollar and 82 cents. To collect a dollar.
1: No. no
2: no, no, they spend the programs they spend a dollar eighty
1: two for every new dollar they get and uh, the more they collect, the more they spend
0: okay. well, <clears throat> who knows? maybe we'll have to kill a few congressmen <laughs> Well, well the, the
1: interesting thing is that uh welfareism in Europe is creating slums in cities that were beautiful, stone structures. Same Had as here. no slum areas. Yes, same as here. Yes. Harlem, as some have said, is the architectural gem of New York, if it could be restored.
0: Well, over the groundstones. Yes. And that was where the wealthy, in the Horatio Alger's time, remember, he mm-hmm. used to, in his little little books, those dime novels, always talking about the man who lived in a brownstone.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what entitlements do, first of all, is to destroy the people who receive them. Then they proceed to destroy the community and the country. Well... The Roman mobs
0: relied upon the baths and the food, and the food was rationed. And in, in the, by the Justinian's time, the rations were so finely drawn that there was a difference between an able-bodied man and an old man or a child or a woman or an elderly person and so forth. There was each, the rations were tailored to your capacity. Mm-hmm. And public officials were appointed, not elected, because nobody wanted to be a public official. The the responsibility was too onerous, and it was too dangerous. Mm -hmm. Then people killed themselves before the tax collector came by. And in that that, uh, context, I'd like to point out that there have been an incredible number of suicides, both male and female, among the farm population of the
2: United States in the last several years. Did you hear uh, Ann Rudin's Sacramento Mayor, Ann Rudin's uh, answer to the question when she was asked what she's going to do after she leaves office? She says, I'm going to look for some kind of a job where I can still serve the public interest and I don't have to wear a bulletproof vest. That's interesting.
1: Yes. In one of the Saner uh, cities of the West. in Sacramento. Yes.
2: Well, I think some of the, uh, you know, at the end of uh, Burkett's book, he has some suggestions for Christians or anyone else uh, to try to uh, position themselves so that uh, they don't have to go through uh, the worst gut wrenching. Uh, uh, scenario and the number one suggestion that he has is to eliminate personal debt to the greatest extent possible, uh, particularly anything that you have to, uh, uh, that are items that uh, depreciate rapidly, automobiles, uh, that sort of thing.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because a great many people to profit from inflation when they see runaway inflation coming and years ago a German told me that as it became apparent to some smart people after World War One that Germany was going to go into inflation they bought a great many things properties businesses farms expecting to pay it off with worthless money. But what they didn't realize is that the inflation wasn't a straight upward uh, climb. It had its zigs and zags on the way up. And you could be uh, caught in one of these zigzags and wiped out. Well, on top of that, uh, a lot of people didn't calculate on the enormous taxes they were going to pay on these properties before it was over. And they had bought and paid for things and then been wiped out by the taxation.
0: Taxation, and also there was the fact that in Germany the, the government uh, allowed the banks to change the terms. Yes. So that in the end, you did not benefit that the bank did. Yes.
2: Well, a lot of people today, uh, the current market value of their home is less than what they owe on it, and if they can't make the payments and the bank forecloses, they still have to pay the difference. Yes. And this will happen if there's a uh, depression. People uh, are thrown out of work. Burkett said that during the... Uh, depression of the 30s that roughly 20 to 20% of the people were out of work and he estimates that during this coming depression that uh, between 30 and 35% one third of the workforce of this country will have no income and all of those people are middle class and a very large percentage of them uh, have uh, money invested in a home the other warning that he has is do not borrow money on home equity Yes. This is very popular right now. You know, for to get to try to stimulate the economy, the government has uh, tried to get banks. Uh, all the advertising that you hear on radio and so forth is to borrow money against your home equity for what is essentially uh, luxury items. You know, put in a spa, or a pool, or that sort of thing. Well, those those won't feed you when the crunch comes.
0: Well, it's a,
2: it's a second mortgage. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, our time is virtually up. I would like to stress again that this crisis is a very real one. Christians must take it seriously. They must get out of debt. And they must recognize that in the providence of God is the, it is the greatest opportunity of centuries because it means the destruction of the humanistic, statist world order. Bush may talk about a new world order, but his idea is a doomed one. Either we Christians provide that new world order, or we will have truly a dark age.
0: Oh, I think Christians will have to network. Yes. Church groups in particular should be a network. It should be the nucleus of a network
1: yes well Davis do you have a last word or two
2: well I think that uh, survival information is contained in the Bible one of the, uh, one of the uh, bits of wisdom from Solomon is uh, don't essentially don't put all your eggs in one basket divide your portion into seven or even eight parts in other words diversify uh, so uh, make a list
1: yes very good well, thank you all for our listening, and God give you wisdom as you prepare for the future.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived
1: by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules. Com.